Pushkin. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, before we get started, I just want to say a little note about this episode that it features one of my best friends talking in the way that he truly, honestly talks, which means he uses the F word a lot. I mean, a lot. And so just a fair warning, you're about to hear it. This is such an exciting moment for some of my best friends are uh, because I have been dying to essentially probe the inner and outer limits of Ben's Judaism and his whiteness. Mm. And I couldn't think mm. of a better person. A better, a better, whiter, or more, more Jewish person. <laughs> than, than, than his actual best friend from college when you guys met. I will say, though, that by the end of this, I feel like Ben needs to decide who his best friend is. I mean, I feel like Uh-oh. we need right. we need to see it's really because listen, I've listened to every single fucking one of these men, and I'm going through a really painful divorce. Every single one, you guys say I love you to each other. You know how painful that's been for me. You know how much that's hurt. I love you, man. I love you, Khalil. And I'm just sitting there listening to it as I take like an endless fucking walk through New York City, looking at everyone who's happy but me, and I gotta listen to that shit. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Listen, I think think there is room, there is enough love in the world to share. We love you too, man. All right, okay, all right, well, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. I'm Khalil Gibran Muhammad. And I'm Ben Austin. We're two best friends. One black. One white. I'm a historian. And I'm a journalist. And this is Some of My Best Friends Are. Yep, some of my best friends are. In this show, we wrestle with the challenges and the absurdities 
of a deeply divided and unequal country. And this episode, we are marking the end of Hanukkah. Ha ha Hanukkah, done, (laughs) done and gone. Yeah, so we're going to look at Judaism and whiteness. We're going to understand race and racism through some of the deepest histories and some of the, the most important questions in this episode. And we have a special guest to help us do that. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, can we can we ask uh, can we ask Sasha to introduce himself? Yes, sure. I am Sasha Penn. Uh, I am a very old friend of, of Ben Austin. We met in college at the University of Rochester. I'm a writer. I write movies and television shows. I am currently actually on set on the show Power Book Three: Raising Canaan, which I uh, created and I and I run. It's a spinoff yes. of Power, which was is was a series on the stars network and this is the uh sort of the third iteration of that yeah sasha you're actually on location right now in a trailer somewhere in queens filming the second season of raising canaan can you say something about what's going on with the show in the second season i mean yes season two what we start to see is like some real distance between rock and canaan like that 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 relationship starts to really evolve in interesting ways and and so you know 
that relationship between Kanan and his mother becomes increasingly complicated. And I will say that the, the season does end because we're getting close to shooting the end in, in, in spectacular fashion. You will, you love will, be, it. You love will it. be stunned love and amazed. It. Love it. We are, we are really uh, grateful for you taking some time. Oh, man, I'm so happy to be here. So let's, let's, get, let's get into this. So I think it's really important first to just establish, just tell, tell us how you and Ben met. Uh, we met through my roommate. Uh, at University of Rochester one night in our dorm. And uh, yeah, man, the rest is history. There it is, you know. Okay, but I want to know that first moment when you meet this guy, because I send him away to college. You know, I've known him from 14 to 18. He's my best friend. You know, he doesn't wear Judaism on his sleeve. What was your first impression of Ben when he showed up at Rochester? Well, I'll say this. Like, I would never have known in a million years Ben was Jewish. Like that, that's, I mean, I'll say that right <laughs> off the bat. And, and I think I probably made judgments about him based on the fact that he played on the tennis team. Because tennis, as you guys discussed in a prior episode. Fan, a fantastic episode. A, a great episode. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Is a somewhat rarefied sport in terms of what your background right, has to right. be. Because Jews weren't admitted to country clubs either. Tennis clubs, Correct. golf clubs. I get it. Correct. I get it. So yeah. I was like, oh, he's, he's a guy who's probably pretty wealthy, plays tennis. I mean, I liked Ben, obviously. I mean, we, we, we became, right. uh, you know, best friends, or I was like his second best friend, apparently. I didn't know that at the time that I was going to be his second best friend. <laughs> and I will say, like, yeah. interestingly enough, Ben was a more observant Jew than me. So In Ben college. would go to services yeah. I was checking college. it out. I never did. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that might have been the way I found out that Ben was even Jewish. Like, he said, oh, I'm going to Hillel or whatever the hell it was. And I was, and I was like, really? Okay. All right, cool. That kind of surprises me. I mean, because the Jewishness of Ben that I knew was Shabbat dinner on Fridays, which usually went from dinner to poker. Khalil is like, I went to Shabbat dinner at your house every no. Friday, and I didn't no, know no, you were no, Jewish. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> and I'm you're say- Jewish? I'm, I'm <laughs> saying that that was the extent of it. I mean, like, and so I don't, I didn't really even understand what all of that meant. I mean, you have to understand, that. like, uh, obviously, everyone experiences their own Jewishness or whatever, their cultural identity differently. My parents were both immigrants, you know, but I did not come from a family that really did those kinds of traditions. We would go for the high holidays for sure, which is like... But you, you had a bar mitzvah though. I did. I did. I went to Jewish day school like Ben early on. And I remember like every Friday, the kids at school would have like Shabbat dinner. And I remember mm-hmm. saying to my parents, like, this is my parents were still together. I was pretty young. And I was like, you know, we should do Shabbat dinner. And I think like we did it like two weeks and then they were both like, nah, man, fuck this. We're, <laughs> we're done with Shabbat dinner. <laughs> and I remember feeling yeah. really like somehow I was, I was failing as, because everyone I knew was doing it, right? And I wasn't. And I just felt like, wow, we're just not, we're not good at that. We're not good at being Jews. So it was, it was, it was I, I had an uneasy relationship, I think, with, with my Jewishness mm. as a youngster. Sasha, I, I get it, man. I mean, I, that, that discomfort. I, I, if I'm honest, I, I probably felt that way as a as a young kid uh, in the Nation of Islam mosques. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I went a few times, and you know, my parents divorced when I was pretty young, and so the whole thing was a little weird when I was a kid. You know, but this does have me thinking about Ben, right? And I'm wondering. So, at best I know, you got a lot of, you know, your Jewish identity at least from going to a Jewish day school. So, what was that experience like? Yeah, yeah. I went to that Jewish day school until fifth grade and when I transferred to public school. And I wasn't a good student at all. I actually <laughs> failed davening, which is prayer. And 
my mom was like, damn, only God can fail, <laughs> fail a kid in prayer. You know, I think, I, you know, I was definitely trying to figure stuff out, though, about about the larger community. So like I lived in a black, a largely black community and within it, this Jewish yep. community and like moving through space, trying to even sort of look to the Jewish part to understand the larger part, you know, so like trying to understand like what it meant to be part of a, mm-hmm. a community. We had this teacher who was teaching like an ethics class, Mr. Levy. He was the principal of the school. And he asked us one day, you know, what should you do if you find $5 outside of a synagogue? And, you know, we're like, huh, I don't know. Like, we start to talk about it. Invest it. (laughs) (laughs) Invest it. And so he finally gets around to it and he gives the answer. And he says, you know, you you take it inside and give it to the front office. You Mm -hmm. give it to the synagogue. Mm -hmm. And... I was like this motherfucker. I was like, ah. And I raised my hand and I said, Mr. Levy, uh, what if you find it outside a church? Ooh, and, good question. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, like in South Shore where I lived, it was, it was all synagogues because the, the neighborhood had been Jewish about, about 15 years before my mm-hmm. family arrived there. That's right. And now all those synagogues were churches. And Mr. Levy, like he's this egg-shaped man and he looks at me with his slit eyes and he said... Keep it. There you go. That is jacked up. <laughs> I was like, ah, all right. So like I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't finding lessons in, you know, as Sasha was saying, like sort of the formal religious teachings of the school that helped me understand yeah. my yeah. world. And I will say that like where I did find it was more in like the cultural Judaism. You know, like if it wasn't in religion, like being a cultural Jew, I was like, oh, I can understand stuff. Um you know, that there were other Jews making jokes, that there were other Jews like telling stories, that there were other Jews who were who were making sense of a lot of these issues. And for me specifically, like about race and like, you know, figuring out their place in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look, obviously Jews like black folks are not monolithic. You know, it's you know, you have you have you have Reformed Jews, you have conservative Jews, you have Orthodox Jews, then you have the Hasidic Jews, then you have, you know... You have Jews of color, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. It does speak to, like, the complexities of Judaism, right? Past like, and present. Which is, yeah. There's, yeah. The, there's yeah. this sort Agreed. of religious aspect, aspect to it, and then there's also a cultural aspect to it, and also there's a very big difference between sort of European Jews, which is what my parents were, you know, having fled the Holocaust, uh or not even fled, surviving the Holocaust, versus, you know, American Jews who'd been, who'd already been here for a number of generations. Like, I'm the first generation of my family to be born here in the United States. Yeah, Sasha, I guess, uh, I don't think about it a lot, but I'm, on my father's side, I'm first generation too. My, My dad is born in Nazi Germany in 1937, and he leaves when he's very young. He leaves in 1939. You know, and and his his father is arrested. You know, he he manages to get free. So you know, there was there was real 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 risk. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, listening to both you and Sasha tell tell these stories about being you know the first in your family to be born you know in the United States, I am curious. How did you both learn about the Holocaust, and you know what kind of effect did did that have? that experience of learning about it, of, of learning about what happened to your relatives have on you as a young person? Like, like, did it become a defining thing in your understanding of being Jewish? I think it, I think for me, I mean, it did. It became the defining aspect of my Jewishness mm. to a certain extent. Like, my last name is Penn. Of course, that's not really my last name. Uh, the last name was Penkinsky. 
Uh, but when when my, my family got here, <laughs> it was like, nah, man, we need to change our name so they can't track us down. I mean, my father's my father's a Holocaust survivor. My mother fled Vichy, France, you know, before things got super duper crazy. Um, but my dad was a Holocaust survivor. Um, and so he didn't talk about it at all, really. Hmm. Like one of the things about my dad, which of course I didn't realize, I didn't learn this until much later, is he lived in this house at one point where you had to walk up these stairs to get to the main floor. And they were, it was like a really noisy hallway. And I would come in and I would open his door and I'd walk up the stairs. And I, he would always, every time, hello, he'd, he'd panic. Who is it? Who is it? And I was like, damn, man, it's me. You know, relax, shit. And come to find out yeah. that when he was a kid, he was hidden in basements all the time while people walked overhead and he would hear the footsteps. And so when he would hear these footsteps come, it would create this incredibly visceral reaction for him. Had a very similar reaction when it came to the police. Anyone in a uniform, my dad would shit himself. I mean, I remember him getting pulled over for speeding and he was like, he was basically like face down on the pavement before they even got to the car. You know what I mean? He was like, take me away. Take me away. You know? Yeah, I give, I give in. And so, yeah, I think my, my Jewishness obviously is inextricably linked to this trauma. But what's been interesting is when I've had kids, it, 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 it has felt more important to me that they identify as Jewish, um, which I didn't, I didn't necessarily expect. So, so Ben, for you, I mean, obviously the same question applies. Yeah, I mean, so hmm, my my father's parents still had German accents, you know, my whole life. They never yeah. lost their accents. And so, you know, we we understood this history. We didn't sort of like unpack it as a family, you know, at all. Like we didn't talk about it in 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 great length. You know, I went to Jewish day school and the stuff about the Holocaust was just part of the conversation mm-hmm. in a way. It's interesting. I mean, that sense of being tied to trauma as part of your identity, um, I probably feel differently than Sasha. Hmm. I mean, I feel very much like it's part of my history as as a Jew, but I'm not but but maybe less part of my personal, you know, like I didn't experience it personally. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Holocaust was experienced very differently by different Jews around the world at the time. And so what I was, for example, like my grandmother was really wary of quote unquote American Jews because mm. in her account, you know, my family was being slaughtered in Europe and the Jews in the United States weren't doing shit about it. And so, you know, ultimately my father, my grandmother, the way they got to this country is a Jewish family sponsored them and paid for them to come over here. That's how they got here. But my grandmother, you know, she sort of felt like the, the Holocaust had been co-opted by people who really didn't do enough at the time to really help those who were actually victimized by the Holocaust. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, mean, I think, you know, the interesting conversation to have is Jewishness and whiteness and, 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 and what is that and how, what is what is the what is that relationship and how does that work and, and all that kind of stuff. Cause you know, right. as I was raised, I was certainly not raised to believe that we were quote unquote white. You know what I mean? I was raised to believe we were Jewish, which was not white. Yeah. And, and do you think, do you think in, in the difference is that white people, the other people think of us as lesser? I mean, my father actually said it to me straight up. He said, white people tried to kill me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, for him, it was it was very, very clear that no, 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 that's not who the fuck we are. Mm-hmm. 
those yeah. people want us dead. And David Lee Roth in his uh, memoir, you know, the lead singer, uh, Van Halen, uh, he says that he gives a speech at like his niece's bat mitzvah and he says, remember, you're not white. Nobody <laughs> thinks you're white. You're yeah. Jewish. And then he does, and then he does this split and jumps Damn up it. and, you know. And then he pops the balloon when he jumps up and pops the balloon in his foot. With it, his, yeah. I, can I just tell you guys, I'm sitting here on Zoom looking at you both. I'm in between you both, which is just the miracle of fate that I should happen to be. And I feel like for the first time in my life, I've arrived at the moment when I wanted to be a fly on the wall when white people and Jewish people talked about each other. Here you are. And here we have it. It's like Jews and black people on the screen fighting racism together through comedy. <laughs> find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers Back on the road fast with Location Telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. All right, man, I am enjoying this. I got Ben in the hot seat. I got Sasha dropping bombs bring it, everywhere. Bring it, bring it. I'm learning so much about like about heritage, about immigration, uh, about personal choice. It's awesome. And so the thing that I'm really curious about now is, listen, both of you are writers. Both of you have have committed your professional lives to to making 
and to creating knowledge. Um, ben, you as a journalist, so much of your work has been really about race and racism. And Sasha, I mean, you've got this incredible career of these amazing stories, and many of them are about Black people. So I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, help me understand how did this happen? Sasha, you first. Look, I've thought a lot about this, uh, I have to say. I think about mm. it all the time because, you know, the the, the show that I created, the show that I run is, is very much, you know, for black show, you know, it is, that's, yeah. that's what yeah. it is. And, and as a kid, I always gravitated towards like books by Richard Wright. And I remember, you know, reading Mancha on the promised land, the Claude Brown book. And I've talked about it. And, and, and yeah. those books really, that, that was heavy stuff. Yeah. It really resonated with me. And I think part of what resonated with me was, you know, I always felt a little bit like, as a kid, especially because I was I was the son of immigrants and I didn't know any other kids whose parents were immigrants and all, you know I I always felt like I was somewhat looking in from the outside mm. and I I feel like in some of those books and some of those experiences you know there were themes and ideas that really resonated with me right but I think more than anything I just I mean my family uh, my family existed in this cauldron of injustice right um, and mm-hmm. I think that very much informed my worldview and the things that were important to me and the issues that were important to me and the, frankly, the stories that were important to me, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah when yeah. I think of my own identity, I think, I think of my identity that I'm Jewish, that I'm white. I'm also a South Sider. Like I'm from the South side of Chicago. And, you know, as a writer and a journalist, I wanted to solve in some way for injustice. You know, I wanted to sort of, you know, investigate inequalities and try to make them right. And being on the, from the South side of Chicago and looking at the injustices around here, most of them happen to black people, not all of them, most of them. And so there are other Jews from my community who are also deeply involved in that, you know, involved in civil rights back in the day. And also like at my synagogue now who are engaged in these issues and these questions, because that's, that, those are the surrounding communities. That's, that's the world we're trying to make sense of. I remember this so well. Uh, and because it, it's always stayed with me. I think you were on Tavis Smiley at one point when Tavis Smiley was still somewhere yep. you could yep. still be on. But I remember you said the two defining moments of my life so far were Rodney King and O.J. Simpson. And I remember when you said that, yeah. I'm like, yeah, those are the two defining moments of my life too. You know, like, that's the mm-hmm. thing that's kind of amazing about this, which is like, if you're our age and you grew up at that time, like, how, mm-hmm. can, tho- how can those two things not be? I don't give a fuck if you're white or black. How can those two things not be the defining moments of your life? I mean, it speaks to the American experience. And and the truth is, we're we're not talking about being black or Jewish or anything. We're talking about just being a good Mm -hmm. human being. And that if you see something wrong... You wanna, you wanna, you wanna do mm-hmm. something about it. I mean, you set up an awesome segue to come, come back to Sasha. So, so with the most recent um, uh, sequel, The Power Book Three, mm-hmm. Raising Canaan, which just finished its first season, which was incredible. Thank you. Uh, Stephanie and I were there for the premiere this past summer, and you took the stage uh, to to really introduce the vision for for this new power uh, series. And you told a story. You told a story about your father's immigrant experience in the United States as inspiration uh, for this Black family story that you were about to premiere. What you said is that the, the struggle of this family is, is a universal story um, of a lot of immigrant experiences. Right. 
And the quest for power, for dignity, for visibility um, is something that you felt uh, from your father's experience. Right. And it helped you it helped you to see in these characters something that they, that you thought the audience would really admire and appreciate. Yeah. My father, when he came to this country, uh, and keep in mind, my father had died about a month and a half before the premiere. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was very, very fresh for me. He was on your mind yeah. a lot. Yeah, 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 he was. He was. And he had died sort of suddenly. So, but when he came to this country, you know, he... Um, the way he learned about America was through popular culture, was through movies, through TV. You know, that's how he assimilated. Uh, Skip Gates wrote something in the New York Times a few weeks ago about, you know, who gets to tell what stories. And, and what he ends up is like, anyone can tell anyone's stories. And he says it's important that that happens. Um, I agree. And yet at the same time, I'm very sensitive, especially given what I mm-hmm. do and the stories that we tell mm-hmm. on this show of who I am right. and how these stories, how these stories are told. And, and listen, there may be a lot of people who are like, nah, fuck that. And that is certainly their right to say that. But I think that if we get to a place where like, I can only tell a Jewish story, you can only tell an Asian, what does that say about us as a society? Like, I'm not willing to take it that far down the continuum, right? Because I don't want my kids to grow up in that world, you know? And I I do think that, that, again, it goes back to, I guess, the speech I gave at the premiere, the stories about ourselves are the way that we share our experiences with other people and they share their experiences with us and we try to understand them. I mean, that's the human, the human experience, like, you know, in your, in our brain, it's like we turn everything into a story. Yeah. I agree with you about, about, you know, the need to tell stories that whatever, however we define our limited identity. I mean, like one of the things we're talking about is that identity is really mixed up. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you know, there's a sort of hybrid sense about who we are. And so you're finding universalities and connections and the dangers happen when we sort of see otherness and think of it as something, you know, very foreign and exotic and fixed. And there is, there isn't either the work to understand how people are different or, or to sort of see the connection. Plainer than that. Right. Like, but I mean, cause the truth is like, there, the overriding tradition is is not the moment when people authentically reach for the experiences of others and try to understand them on their own terms. The, the experience in this country has mostly been to caricature blackness, right. right? Like American popular culture came into being caricaturing black life. It it was it was the essence of American culture in the nineteenth century from the vaudeville stage to minstrelsy to the blackface traditions. Every seminal moment in American popular culture was defined by some moment of taking the raw material of black life, not out of ignorance and distance, but out of familiarity and proximity, by actually being close to black people and turning them into monsters or children or pickaninnies or sambos or fill in the blank. Um, and I'm not saying those things are one and the same, what you're describing about what happens today, uh, but that is the weight of history. That is the longer story. Um, and of course, I mean, what what is so wonderful about this conversation is that both of you embody the counter push against that. And for reasons that, you know, I think have a lot to do with your own personal personal journeys. Right. Ben, I mean, and this, I, I know this is a lot of history in this moment, yeah. but it, 
but this is exactly my point about what you do. Right. I mean, I remember you telling me the story about someone coming up to you when you were doing a book talk about your book about, you know, very poor black people living in Cabrini Green and all the amazing things that they did, you know, to make fuller lives for themselves. And I think you told me something to the fact someone was like, well, why you, Ben Austin, did you choose to write this book? Yeah, yeah. I get asked all the time, you mm. know, what made you want to do this? Mm. And like I'm, I'm writing across racial lines and class lines and often gender lines and I guess religion lines too, right? Mm-hmm. Since we're having this talk about Judaism. Um, yeah, but there's, there's something about telling that story which felt like such an important story to tell. It is the story of Chicago. It is the story of the nation. It's the story of cities. Um, I could find that connection in there. Sasha was saying like the, the importance of practicing empathy, which is so much of writing of doing the work to 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 feel to, to to put yourself in other people's shoes to to learn about their stories and to try to tell them the best way possible you know it's like i'm listening to this whole conversation which of course has gone way past any conversation about judaism right but but because of our history because of the stuff we've experienced like and I, i'll speak for my own family you know my father my intensely interested in politics and intensely interested in current events why? Because, you know, and that, by the way, that was like the most Jewish shit I've ever done in my life. Why? Um, Why? Why? Was, no, you could have said it high incredible. with the hands up turned. Why? I better make it into the fucking shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. because that shit has a material impact on our lives. We've seen it happen before, which is that mm. if you take your eye off the fucking ball, guess what? They show up at your door, they take you, they throw you in a fucking train, and they take your house. So, you know, it's like, you know, this is the stuff that I grew up as a Jew being, like, really interested in because this was the stuff that my family talked about because we felt like it was important because, again, it had a material impact on us. And part of the experience of being a child of a survivor, frankly, is feeling like at any time shit could go really bad at any time. Yeah. That's not a uniquely Jewish experience. I should say that. It's not at all, you know? Right. I, I got to say, like, I mean, listening to the, to what you just shared, Sasha, I mean, thinking about how I was socialized, you know, both to, like, celebrate the freedoms that came with the successes of the civil rights movement, only to kind of stumble into an awareness, you know, by virtue of, Rodney King and the stuff that started to just seep into my consciousness, you know, it feels actually a lot more like Ben's story in terms of like this upbringing that wasn't conscious like yours. But the irony is that the three of us end up in the same place. I mean, obviously, I'm living this Black experience, but by dint of some, you know, really diverse paths that the three of us journeyed, um, we all end up in this space where our understanding of the potential for harm to other people animates the work we do. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm really grateful uh, for being on this journey with both of you, brother. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Man, Sasha, was so great to have you on the show. It really means a lot that you're uh, participating in this with us. And 
You know, the, the first question that Khalil asked you was, uh, how did you meet me? And what was your first impression? And I want to ask you about your first impression when you met Khalil, because when we were in our early 20s, like, like just out of college, you came to Chicago one winter and it was the first time that you met him. Well, it's funny because uh, when I met Khalil, he was on this track to be like, an accountant or something. You were on, you were working at PwC. <laughs> Deloitte, Deloitte and Touche. Deloitte yeah. and Touche. Okay. So I remember meeting him and being like, cause, cause of course Ben and I were like, we had no hope of a career whatsoever. Like it was like <laughs> the best, we were both like, oh, we're, we're going to be like writers, which of course is like ridiculous. <laughs> and so I remember meeting you and being like, wow, man, Khalil really has it together. But here's what I really remember. And this is the only thing that matters. I remember we went out to dinner and Khalil opened his car door and he reached down and he, all of a sudden he brought back $40. And I was like, what the fuck? And Khalil was like, yep. I just found it. And we're like, get the fuck out of here. And then he reached out again and he pulled out another $40. Remember this, Khalil? You found all this money on the street. Yeah. And then you took us all out to pizza. It, it was like negative. It was like negative 20. <laughs> it was negative 20. I out. don't even remember this. And we went to, we went to Giordano's. And that money covered all the pizza <laughs> and, so this, and beer. This brings us all the way back full circle to Ben being to Mr. In, Levi he, to and that five dollars out the synagogue. Yes, if you ask Khalil, <laughs> Mr. Levi, like, hey, I take everybody out to Reach. pizza. That's right. I take the Jews out. I take the Jews out for pizza. It's not I, if you find twenty dollars. I take them to pizza. That's what I do, Mr. Levy. <laughs> oh my God! Now that's hilarious. Yeah. That is hilarious. All right. Well, you know what? I think, I think, I think it's fair to say, Ben, that uh, I, I love Sasha too. Is that all right? Is that is that all right with I you? Love, yeah, 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 yeah. One hundred percent, of course. I, I need that, love man. Sasha. I'm not gonna lie. I He's need so it. lovable. I love you guys. He's I so love lovable. <laughs> I love you. Guys. Love you, Sasha. Some of my best friends are is a production of Pushkin Industries. The show is written and hosted by me, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and my best friend Ben Austin. Produced by Cher Vincent and edited by Karen Shakurji. Our engineer is Martin Gonzalez. Our associate editor is Keishel Williams. Our associate producer is Lucy Sullivan. And our showrunner is Sasha Mathias. Our executive producers are Lita Molad and Mia LaBelle. And special thanks, of course, to Sasha Penn. Not just one of my best friends, one of my two best friends. At Pushkin, thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, and Jacob Weisberg. Our theme song, Little Lily, is by fellow Chicagoan Avery R. Young from his amazing album, Tubman. You will definitely want to check out more of his music at his website, averyryoung.com. You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. If you love Some of My Best Friends Are and any of the other shows from Pushkin Industries, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. If you like this show, please give it a five-star review. And please tell some of your best friends about it. Like, a lot of your best friends. All of your best friends. <laughs> All of your best friends. Now. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, you guys, it's Hanukkah time, and I learned how to say happy holidays. Shak Samea, right? Oh, man. Did I get that right? Did I get that right? Yes. You killed it. Yes. This guy, Shak Samea. All right. Uh, Do you want to correct him or should I, Ben? You decide. Chag. Chag. Chag Samea. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com.